Yeah, right down where my slides rotate. I forgot to do that. everybody. Why don't you come on in and have a seat? I'm trying to get attention. I need that. Why is it? Yeah, that's, that's a great idea. That was my next, that's my next move. <laughs> All right, welcome everybody. Glad you made it. Why don't you come on in, fill in, have a seat, grab some coffee on your way in and get comfortable. So glad to have you all here. Looking around, I see a few faces I've, uh, that are new to our class here. Welcome to you and glad you could make it with us. You're in family life. Pastor Jeff's going to be returning to the teaching role today at some point. And we're back in Psalm 119, so look for a great study together. But I hope you had a great week. We enjoyed our little get-together last, uh, I guess it's been a week now, with the, uh, the Valentine <coughs> dinner party that we had. That was wonderful. Hope you had a chance to join us for that. Uh, good time of fellowship. Hope your week went well. But we want to kind of begin today with a little bit of uh, prayer requests or thanks thanksgivings or blessings you want to share with the class and just keep some things before the class and we pray for pray for some of these folks is there anything that we can add to our to our prayer list this morning jane yes so um glenn and jerry Danny have been suffering with um, illness this week jerry is on the men glenn is still coughing a little bit they said they'll probably be here at the morning service but i know there's a baby dedication going on too and Mm -hmm. they're invested in that but um, okay. Continue to do the one Glenn and Jerry. Absolutely. Well, 
Okay. Pray for Glenn and Jerry. And also, can we add Holly and Anna? They're not here today because Anna's not well. Holly's fine, but Anna's not. So pray for them, if you would. Who else? DJ. My sister attending the church in Madison Heights called The Promise. Um, and they're in the process of really trying to get their fundamentals of how the church is run and everything like that. So they're starting to encounter a lot of different scenarios of out of handling and stuff like that. So just Gotcha. Is this a new church that's planted there? Um, well, it's been operate for a couple of years, but they're, I guess they're getting to the point now that they're starting to grow. Okay. And they're realizing they've got stuff they should have, I guess, can mm. already handled. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah. Okay. So just that their leadership would stay. You know, right. Biblical. Yeah, biblical. And, uh, yeah, okay. Much. All right. Wonderful. All right. Yeah, Robin. Again, um, just praise the Lord. We are having a healthy baby boy. Oh, wow. wow. Praise the Lord. That's exciting. Amen. <laughs> That's wonderful news. The Lord's going to bless our class. I think we have several who are expecting and on their way. So this would be great. Amen. <laughs> All right. What else can we add to the list here? Emily. My husband Ben is starting his first round out of 12 of chemo for his stage 3 lung cancer. That's right. You mentioned him earlier for prayer. Did you say, you said stage 3? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We'll pray for Ben as he begins the, the treatments there. What else? Anything else we can add? Yeah, Phil. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll like to keep my sister in prayer. She um, details are sketchy right now. She she lives in a restaurant, and um, yesterday at some point she passed out and mm. I guess hit her head. And uh, I, I, unfortunately, I was at I was at LU all day yesterday. I was referring a volleyball tournament there. So, but my, my oldest niece called me, you know, while I was there and told me they were only going to take her to the hospital. Uh, eventually, they had to admit her to ICU because they had she had problems breathing. Wow. They put on a ventilator for a while. But um, Upshot is now, I mean, I've been texting her this morning. She's over there with her right now. And she seems to be doing better. She's off the ventilator. She's eating. They're trying to figure out why she passed out. They don't really know. They've done several tests, CAT scans and stuff. Nothing comes back abnormal. Mm. So they're still trying to figure it out. But uh, she seems to be doing okay. Um, she's eating. She's responsive. Like I said, I've just been texting my oldest niece while she's been over there. I'm going to go with my mother and I. I'm going to take my mother over this afternoon to visit with her. But just keep her in prayer. Yeah, sure. Hopefully everything, you know, they'll figure out what, what, what went wrong and, and correct it. And hopefully she'll go home soon. Absolutely. What's what's her name? Donna. Donna. Okay. Yeah. <coughs> Great. All right. Just a reminder from what we've had going on here, we've been praying for Brianna's father, who had uh, is having some heart problems, so she's not here today, but we'll keep her father in prayer. And uh, Judy, who's also not here this morning, we're praying for her daughter Heather, who's had the who has the oblation scheduled. <coughs> so we're praying for that. And that's right, yep. Judy's out traveling. So I think it's her birthday this week, so if you happen to touch base with her, wish her happy birthday. Um, Jim, any updates from your son? or uh, His follow-up with a cardiologist is uh, <laughs> 9th of March. 9th of March, okay. All right, keep prayers up there. All right, I'm praying for Margaret still. Margaret's okay? She's doing better? Okay. Everything seems to be pretty healed up, and I even said it may have hurt because you're already back. So, all right. It seems to be all right. But I have to drag all of my kids back into the ER March 7th for a follow up appointment with a forensic nurse. And if I don't go, then we'll probably have CPS coming down a little bit. So that's great. Mm, okay. Um, all right. Should be fine. Just Sure. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Um, my father will be celebrating his 90th birthday on March 5th. So we are throwing him a party. Because that's a big milestone to me. Nice. Is he party hard at 90? 
Oh, he, yeah, he's no, still I'm sure he'll, he can still party hard. <laughs> 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 yeah. You take it easy. <laughs> not, not too hard, though. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's great. Thank the Lord for that. All right. Any others before we go to prayer? All right. Thanks for these. We'll, we'll keep them up before the Lord this week. Lord, we just thank you for the privilege to gather up this morning. Thank you for this group that you've assembled here. Each and every single one of them are special and uh, just an integral part of this, this family life uh, group. We're just thankful for how each one um, supplies strength to the body and gives, uh, um, gives encouragement and uh, help when, when, when it's needed. And we're so grateful, Lord, that uh, you've given us the ability to gather. We're thankful for the opportunity to hear the word. Uh, taught and preached to us this morning. We pray that our hearts would already be open now and receptive to the things we'll we'll discover in the Word, that we might apply them, practice them, and uh, be made more like Christ by them. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Jeff as he's prepared this week to to give us the Word. We pray that uh, you'll use him, speak through him, and uh, fill him even now. As he prepares to speak, we pray also, Lord, for these who've mentioned for prayer. We're thinking of um, Glenn and and Jerry. Thank you for uh, their ministry to us in the last few days, and I pray that you'll raise them up in strength, uh, full health. We ask that you also be with DJ's sister, who's part of a church in the area. We pray for the direction and the leadership and the uh, the biblical stance of that church. That it would be strong. That it would that would uh, uh, speak clearly. And it would align itself on the word of God. Pray for Robin. Thank you that uh, the good news of the, the health of this little one on the way. We just thank you for that. And thank you for blessing them with this wonderful treasure. Thank you for Emily. And we pray for her cousin, uh, Ben, who's now starting his treatments this week. A very serious uh, situation there. We pray that you would use that, that experience for him uh, to draw him in closer to you to um, allow him to depend on you and to trust you and deepen his faith by it. Lord, we pray that you also be with Phil's sister, who's also in the hospital today, who had an unexplained pa- situation, scenario, episode of passing out. Pray that the doctors will have clarity and know how to treat her, that they'll diagnose the problem well and help Phil as he ministers to his sister. We pray this also for Martha's father, who's had a 90-year-old, who's going to have a 90th birthday. We're grateful for the length of life there and for the full life he's led. And um, we thank you for just his influence in Martha's life. Lord, just pray that you'll be with us now as we go into the Word of God. Help us once again to be attentive and to be already leaning into these passages, ready to practice them and obey them with your Holy Spirit's help. And we'll ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Jeff. Congratulations, DJ. Congratulations. Had to have a chance to talk to you a while, so I'm very happy for you. Got some uh, 90-year-old strong genes there, Phil, so you know what to look forward to. Well, I've already sold that way. I'm not sure. My mother-in-law just came off a of hospice. And going on going on 95, they says, you know, she's not terminal. I'm thinking. <laughs> I say, what, what do you mean she's not terminal? She's going on 95. How could she not be terminal? Anyway. So it is what it is. Strong genes right there. Yes, yes. Must look forward to it. Yeah, so. I know. Well, I am looking forward to being able to to teach for a while here in, in Family Life and I'm very, very grateful for for those who brought the teaching the past few months, Nathan last fall, uh, and uh, then Mark Hager this past few weeks as well. So it's been a been a blessing. So it's going to take me a little while to get back in, in the routine of things. I went back into my notes, and I was debating what to do. And one, I said, maybe I should do one on spanking, because I've seen some of these kids around here. They need a lesson on spanking. <laughs> or, you know, just, just kind of looking at what to do next. And I want, I, want, 
I look honestly when I look at something to do, I'm looking what can I why would I enjoy studying, right? Why would I enjoy going through and so I look at I, I bought a few books on parables and see if I if I'd be interested in, in studying through that. And so I just ran through a few things and last spring we had started a study on Psalm one nineteen and we have a few more sessions on that, a few more stanzas we'll get. So I think I'm gonna go back to that for the spring and take our time to go back through that. I'm gonna I'm gonna back up a little bit today. Because a number of you were not here when we started the study. We went through some of these stanzas, and we're going to pick back up. Honestly, when we went back through my notes to see where I left off, I wasn't sure exactly where I left off. I've got it's like 110 PowerPoints that I've created through for the study. I've got 70-plus pages of notes, something, and I think I left out here, but my notes kept our running notes, as, as you would imagine. So I'm picking up here in the noon stanza uh, in verse 105. I thought it would be a good place to, to start. So we're... We're going to be there today, but before that, I want to back up a little bit and give us a little bit of context in why study Psalm 119. So with some of you, first, for, for those of you who went through this, I know you remember every detail from eight, nine months ago, but in case you don't, I'm going to put it back out there, kind of get us back in the mindset of what we're doing with Psalm 119. And honestly, just enjoy it. Every time I do, I do this every time. When I, when I walk through a stanza, I think, okay, I'm going to read through this, and I read through it once, and then, okay, man, what can you... You know, what can you say about this stanza? Then you start studying and start reading Dr. Zimmick. Dr. Zimmick peels it apart in every possible uh, Hebrew letter and a Hebrew word, and you start digging through it. You're like, wow, this is really neat. And even reading through this, um, through this stanza that we're looking at today, boy, I was just, there's some things that are just so powerful in what he's saying and so encouraging. So we're going to pick there. I put down, first of all, why study Psalm 119? I say Psalm 19 is the path away from a mediocre, shallow understanding of who God is. And I, I took on the challenge because at first I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be, if you read through Psalm 19, first of all, Psalm 119 is that, that, kill, that, you know, that Bible reading schedule killer, right? You know, you're on three chapters a day and you're coming to 119. Okay, this is going to speed bump in my, in my reading schedule. As you read it, you're thinking, well, this sounds awful repetitive. You're saying the same thing over and over. But as you dig through it, you realize, and I got very convicted. I didn't put the quote up here, but I got very convicted. Spurgeon was saying, those who think that Psalm 119 is repetitive because they haven't studied it in detail. I was like, okay, I was embarrassed already when I read that because I was thinking it's kind of repetitive. I baited my wife, asked her. She said the same things. Then I, I gave her the quote. So, <laughs> so I baited her. <laughs> so we were... Both got smacked around with that, and and then just walking through that, and and, and then when you understand the the why of this psalm, the uniqueness of it, first of all, you understand the necessity of having an entire chapter, uh, eight, uh, twenty-two stanzas on eight verses each on all this subject of loving God's word, knowing God's word, following God's word, and how it applies to to our life. I put down uh, why is Psalm one nineteen so long. Uh, 176 verses, it's long because of his poetic structure, as a reminder, 22 stanzas, 8 verses each, from, it's the entire uh, alphabet, Hebrew alphabet, each stanza begins with the first letter of that stanza, each line begins with that letter of the alphabet, so you're walking through the entire uh, Hebrew alphabet, you're walking through the A to Z on, on how to love God's word or the significance of, of God's word. So each uh, stanza named after a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and I sometimes I put those up there. It's not super needy, but kind of show how that, how that is written out for us. And it was designed to be sung. A lot of people say that Psalm 19 is used for children to, to sing it, and then singing it learn to not only learn their alphabet and in the process learning uh, God's word in the process as well. So why so many different references to God's word? You'll see, I think, I read somewhere, I didn't go through and count to make sure because there's some nuances in different translations, but I read there's like only three or four verses that do not reference some way God's law, God's word. It translates sometimes law, word, testimonies, ways, precepts, statutes, commandments, and rules that are used, the words that are used throughout this Psalm 119. So what is interesting to me, I think what was most helpful for me in, in looking through this, is why, why the poetic form, meaning, I don't know about you, but poetry wasn't my 
besides roses, roses are red. I mean, you know, poetry wasn't exactly my thing. Honestly, poetry takes a lot of work, right? To how 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 to write poetry is not just I could I could write. My kids talk about oh, I've got this, you know, three hundred fifty word little essay. Say, so, honey, I could sneeze three hundred fifty words. And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, but poetry now that takes real thought on, on the right words. You're selecting the right words. So you want to work them through poetry. They're not just random words. You're not just writing your thoughts coming out. You're, you're really structuring it in such a way that you're using very specific words and, you're, and it's very thoughtful. So poetry takes a lot of work and a, a lot of thought. So when you look at this, and this is where it's helpful for me in understanding the significance of it because now when I'm reading it, I learn to appreciate what they're doing with that, with that poetry. So we know Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem. Each stanza begins with the same letter. The information is not provided sequentially, which is what makes it harder for us. We like things in a sequential fashion. We're very organized. We're very methodical. We want the three points. We want the two-point outline that goes underneath it, and we want it all to make sense. We want the beginning to be the, be the beginning. We want the climactic point to be right there in the middle, and bam, we end with the conclusion. We like that format, and we look for that format, and we kind of intuitively look for that. And even in poetry, in American poetry, you're looking for rhythm. You're looking for... Uh, final syllables and sounds. You know, I wrote a couple cute little poems for, you know, a hundred hearts would be too few to carry all my love for you. I mean, that's that's our our idea of poetry. I write those all every day to Jane in the morning. At least. <laughs> Down in a forest, carved in a tree, three little words: "I love thee." So. There's no copyright on those. You could take them home and use them. <laughs> but <laughs> so it is a little confusing when you hear the word Hebrew poetry. Then you go here and you read it this way. And he, and here's where, for for me, it was it was very helpful to understand what they're doing in Hebrew poetry and what am I looking for in Psalm 119. So to explain the rhythm of Hebrew poetry, one commentator describes it this way. It says rhythms, I put up here, rhythms and symmetry and patterns and variations of Hebrew poetry were not in how things sounded, but in what they meant and what emotional impact they had upon the hearer. So whereas I'm normally looking poetry for repetition of sound, here they look for repetition of thought. So he says we often look for repetition in sound, and they look for repetition in an intellectual and emotional way. Emotional not as in, as in fickle way, but steering a response and an intellectual response that steers a reaction to that. So the chief characteristic of Hebrew poetry is thus repetition. We look for parallels. We look for contrast. And he puts this is where this, this key phrase here, if we're going to remember anything about Hebrew poetry, is known as logical rhythm, a rhythm of thoughts and ideas where the Hebrew poet loves to make comparisons, loves to repeat things to build up intensity. So he's not just repeating things in case you forgot it, or we're repeating things just because we're repeating. He's repeating them to, uh, to build up the intensity. So like, in, like today, if he uses the word affliction, well, he says severely afflicted. Well, before he mentions afflicted in the previous stanzas, now he adds the, the, that qualifier that there's severe affliction. So he builds an intensity about, around what he's experiencing. A few examples of that are, are, are helpful. Um, for example, in Scripture, we, we see, uh, we might say, the, we would say, <clears throat> even the description of the tabernacle, we would say there's the holiest and the holiest of all, but in Scripture they say what? The holiest of holies. Or <clears throat> we'd say the song would describe a song, describe it the song of songs. So the way it's described is meant to build intensity, and when you, when you read through a stanza of Psalm 119 and you read through it, you, you sense that building up and intensity of the emotion as you read it, and that's what it's designed for. So and then as you dig a little bit deeper in it, that intensity is, is even greater. And, and as I'm reading through it last night, going back over this and just cleaning things up, I'm, I'm reading through it. It's like, wow. It, it's honestly, it just builds such an emotion around it, around it because he just digs in the intensity, and he, he stirs that up through Hebrew poetry. So I thought it was, it was beautiful the way it is. It is described there. So, last example, perhaps, um, of significance in Deuteronomy 6, where he, he says in verse 4, I'm just going to quote it here. He says in verse 4, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord, you shall love the Lord 
again, he builds it up right well with your heart, soul, all your strength. He builds that up. And then he says this in verse 4. He builds this intensity. Then a little bit later in verse 7, he says, teach these things diligently to your children. The reason why I want to focus on this aspect here, not only because Psalm 119 was a tool to teach diligently to the children, but the, the idea is sharpening iron. And how do you sharpen an iron? How do you sharpen a knife? You do it by what? By, by constantly uh, repetition. And so that's the image given here. So here, here is the significance of the word. Teach it to your children what? With, as, as you sharpen an iron with, through that, that rep, repetitive motion in a way, of course, like, it, like I said in poetry, that just really builds that up. So let's go to our next stanza. Our next stanza, the noon stanza, 14th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And let's read through, read through this together and then look at some of the... Just there's three or four things in here that I, I thought were really, really outstanding, and then he, his concluding thoughts are beautiful as well. So we'll see the time we have. I know I had a little bit of a backup here, a little bit of a background to, to give us, so we'll, we'll end where we end and maybe pick up. But usually on a Sunday, I try to do one stanza and try to build from there. So let's read this one together and begin here. Verse 105 is no doubt one that we're most familiar with, right? It says, Your lamp, I'm sorry, your word is a lamp to my feet. And a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. And your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. And I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. So as we embark on this stanza here, verses 105 through 112, again, the first 105 is probably one that we memorize as, as a young child in Sunday school. The psalmist is going to embark on a path of, he describes here in verse 107, a path of severe affliction. But in that, he has a renewed perspective in that of the sufficiency of God's word that will sustain him, as he says in 1012, right, that will sustain him to the end. And this confidence in God and confidence in his word explains why he returns and he laments. But this lament and this lamenting is bathed in continuing gratitude. What, what an anomaly, what a something incomprehensible for someone that's not a child of God to be able to lament and yet in doing so lament for the affliction and yet do so with continuing gratitude and the continuing sense. And there's, there's three pieces here that stand out, stood out to me when I read it is three areas of affliction and three responses that he gives to that, that are, that are beautiful indeed. So the comforting truth of God's word are going to cause two things. One is a personal reaction, and we see this here. I just underlined some of these words here because we see them as he uh, personalizes, right? He says, my feet. We see this stand out in him describing his reaction to being comforted with, with God's word. He talks about the length of my feet, my path, my free will offering, my life, my hand, my heritage, my heart, and then again my heart in, in verse 12. So we see his reaction to, a personal reaction to the comfort of God's word. And then we see the resolutions that are brought about here as well. What are, what are some of the resolutions? Now, some of you who have not been around me much in teaching, I will try to poke at you for a response, right? So sometimes I get carried away, I keep talking, but I will try to, to stop and just kind of get us reflect on the word. So... What, what are some of the resolutions, in, in, in light of his reaction, what are some of the resolutions he makes in, in these verses? Just walk on down. What's the first one? So he makes a, an oath, confirms it to keep his righteous rules. What's the next one? Do not forget the law. And then 
commitment not to stray. And then the, his final thought in verse 12, to, to, um, to incline his heart to perform his, his statutes forever. Someone gave, here's one thing that you're not going to get, and here's probably where me understanding the Hebrew poetry was very helpful, because what I'm looking for in every text is a natural outline. First of all, you're not going to come, no one that I've really seen, studied, and read through it myself have, have an outline for Psalm 119. Some have tried and boy, you're really going to have a headache if you start getting, you know, acronyms that, that matching letters and sounds. <laughs> Nathan, if you try that with Psalm 119, I know you like that, but that's going to cause you a headache and a half, right? <laughs> to try to get everything to start with the same word and same letters. It's not really designed to be that way. And even within a stanza itself, you see thoughts that are brought out, but it's hard to, to build on an outline that we would naturally want to see. But here's one possible outline. First few verses, I will follow your word to be my guide. I will trust your word to give me life, and I will delight in your word until, until the end. So he expresses uh, in, these, in these verses here, uh, I trust it to lead me. I swear to obey it. Second part, uh, I will trust the word when I'm, in, when I'm troubled or afflicted. I'll trust the word when my life is in danger. When the, that's the verse he sees here we'll come back to in just a minute. He talks about, uh, I hold my life in my hand continually. He talks about uh, facing death and, and life being in his hands. We'll, we'll unpack that in just a moment. And finally, last two verses, I'll delight in your word until the end. And in that, the word of God should be the joy of my heart. So in the midst of this, right, in, in the midst of severe affliction, he still contemplates two things at the end. We'll, we'll see the contentment and commitment to two last verses. One, he talks about, uh, his testimony being a heritage forever, and they are the joy of my heart. So let me, let me start with the first verse, 105 and 106. We're not going to look at these verses. They're not uh, really critical for us right now. The other passage, we'll see a number of other scripture verses, Matthew 5. The idea of having a lamp, the picture of a lamp is something that we've seen through scripture. Of course, in, in, in John 8, we also see that the Christ is the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So the picture of a lamp is something that we're familiar with uh, in Scripture. Um, and Second Peter describes that lamp as, as being, uh, you will do well, he says, to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. And so that Scripture reference to, to lamps, you could do a little bit of word search on that and, and find a few other interesting parallel passages uh, as well. The lamp is effective. One author put it this way, the word of God is both a focus and a diffused light. What he means by that is on the first hand, the picture of a lamp is one that casts light as a beam as to where you step next, right? Aim at the next step. But at the same time, it's a floodlight which penetrates the shadows. So the, the, two, the two facets of the light is not just one who, who gives us that guidance for what should I be doing tomorrow. And that may not be do I buy a Dodge or buy a Ford. It's, I'm sure it's... We're talking about moral questions and, and moral compass here. But as a light as well, it's like a floodlight which penetrates which penetrates the shadows. So can you give me an example of the contrast or can you give me an example of how, how that works in your daily life? How does, the, how does that word of God serve as a lamp unto my feet and then a light unto my path? I think uh, sometimes we get confused in our lives knowing to, when to do the right thing when sometimes the right thing might not provide us with the results that we really want. So the Word of God can always set us back on course and tell us, you know, maybe that seems like the right thing to you, but truly God's Word is what I've heard someone describe they were looking at a young man who was interested in their daughter and he said well one thing you know, are they looking to interpret life through the lens of scripture so are you, are you trying to make are you making decisions in life based on are you, are you going to scripture to see how to stay on the path there are, there are daily decisions that you're making that might have to do with forgiveness or unforgiveness and, and scripture speaks to that. You know, what am I doing as it pertains to this for tomorrow? 
And you might be battling something today, and we're all battling something today, just to be clear. You know, we're, we're battling something today that, has, that we're confronted with Scripture on how I need to respond to a situation, how I need to act in a certain situation. But then there's a, there's a greater narrative, and, a, and there's a bigger picture that the, also the Scripture gives us, and a greater enlightenment that casts a light in, in the shadows of life that gives us purpose and meaning where we're going, where we're going in life. It gives purpose to our lives. It gives meaning to our lives. And so the, the Scripture gives us that <coughs> focus for speaks the truth and, and and the first thing you, we have in counseling is what is con- confrontation with truth and making decisions that will be pleasing unto the lord but then that's also casting a greater narrative thankfully the, the scripture gives us a greater picture that casts shadow and why our purpose our existence and one of course to glorify to glorify the lord so he talks about the, the word of god is both a focus and a diffused light and of course in, in light of this, the, the psalmist here is going to, going to respond, and we see how the, the lamp is needed. Uh, in, in light of the light that he brings to his path and to his surrounding, there's a rush of reaction to that uh, and the resolutions that will follow. And I think every one of us, as we're confronted with the light of Scripture, right, we, we should be making resolutions to, to abide by it, to conform to it, to be obedient to it, to be faithful to it. So he goes on from there to resolve, to confirm, to promise, and then to pledge. And then this culminating point in verse 106, he says, I have sworn an oath to keep your, <clears throat> your righteous rule. So why, why is this lamb so badly needed? Well, we see it in the, the afflictions that are going to follow. We, we, we need the scripture so badly. Going back to my verses here. We need the scripture so badly. Why? Because I'm facing severe affliction. We need it so badly because he describes how his life is on the line. And that description of life is not just my life is in danger, but he describes his willingness to die to self and just give his life up. And then the last one is because he talks about the wicked ones who have a snare who try to uh, ensnare him. So the necessity of the lamp, not only does it have that focus and that light that shines our path, but the necessity of it is drawn out in this passage here. Well, how many times we, we, we rely on so many other things that are, are of no consequence when the Word of God is there to help shape our hearts and minds in Christ in these, in these matters and these times. There are a few assumptions that are being made here. One, there's an assumption that there, that there is light on the path presumes there is a way that is dark, right? I mean, if there's... If there's a need or necessity for light on the path, it's because there's darkness that surrounds that path. It also assumes that there's danger surrounding that, that path as well. I think every one of us, when we raise our children, what's the first thing that comes to mind is the dangers that, that beset them that they're so unaware of. We're adults, and we're looking at children thinking, boy, if you, you know, they're, they're so ignorant of the dangers. I've got girls who think they can handle themselves. They have no idea what it really means to be in a situation where they'd be in danger and the illusion that somehow, you know, you can you could fight off an adversary or that you'd know how you handle yourself. So you're not thinking. I'm thinking, yes, it's 1130 at night. I feel, I feel better if you're home. Oh, I'm fine. I can take care of myself. No, you can't. I said, when you break down the road at midnight, the people that stop and help you at midnight, are not the ones who stop and help you at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. No, no concept of danger. And, uh, and it's, not, it's not being critical. Of that. It's just that youthfulness about them. But how many times even in our own spiritual walk, we're so unaware of the dangers that surround that path. And we're not so, we should be so attached to the word. Why? Because we're so aware of the darkness that lies on the left and the side of that path. And we're, yeah, so many times we're so cavalier with that. We're so, we're so reckless with that. We're so careless we're drawn by so many other things because we're, we're just not aware of the dangers. And when, even the description of that underlines, underscores the, necessi- the necessity of having a light that shines on that path. There's the assumption of death there as well. That's why he clings to life in verse 107. There's the assumption of danger from snares, and we'll look at that in just a moment as well. So following Christ and following his word is going to require this intentionality and with this with this resolve right so the the resolve in verse 106 i've sworn an oath and i've confirmed it what's the first thing we see after that well we see that put to the test 
Now, this is, this, these are the three areas. There's two things. This is really neat, these three areas he responds to. And then at the end, he really fi- he finishes with some strong, beautiful statements as well. So he, here is this resolve put to the test. I swear to uh, – I've, I've sworn an oath to follow his righteous rules and to follow by the light of his word. How long before that is put to the test? Systematically, when we talk about people here giving their testimony of, of faith, I'm, I'm excited when someone proclaims Christ. But what's the first thing you're looking for? We want to wait how they're going to respond to the test. Because before that, it's just proclamation. And a proclamation isn't worth more than that, but a proclamation. Many times in ministry, Jane and I have seen people come to know the Lord. We're being excited for them, and we're excited for them. But there's also, there's also that wait moment that says, okay, Lord, this now they're making the affirmation. This they're, they're making the proclamation that they're going to be true to God's word, and what you know is going to happen. They're going to be put to the test, and what is that response going to be? That's really where the rubber meets the road. What's that response going to be? Well, you see him put to the test, and the first thing that comes up in verse one hundred seven, he faces what the severe affliction. What he discovers, and what I discover. That the word of God is sufficient even in the most severe of our afflictions. <coughs> I mean, his response to it is beautiful. He says, so, so I mentioned earlier, he, he has a modifier. He's talked about affliction before, I forget, maybe 22, 24 times. Now he has this severe affliction that's brought to light, right? What's his response in verse 108? So, verse 107. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life according to your word. What's his response to that? Verse 108. It's awesome. What did he say? Now, I'll read my translation. Maybe someone has a little different word. He says, accept my what? My free will offerings of praise, O Lord. And teach me your rules. Folks, that is... Accept my free will or voluntary offerings of praise. He speaks of voluntary praise to the Lord with his mouth and his words of praise in the light of his most severe affliction. The, the word accept that is brought out here, the emphatic participle that is used, has this imperative. So when he says accept, there's this imperative describing something that is inferior, offering something to someone that is superior. It could be translated, please be pleased, be pleased with, with my offering. What is our, tempta- what is our temptation and affliction? Now, I had to go to the early service. Did, did, did Clay talk about murmuring in the early service? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a good, maybe that's a good <laughs> piggyback lesson on this, right? What's our natural response to affliction? <coughs> Even as believers. Not as believers, as believers. Blame. Oh, I'm sorry. Complaining. Clay said this morning, venting. Venting. Prayer request, venting. <laughs> Bible study, venting. Small group, venting. <laughs> Why me? It's so. Listen, maybe not the first time, right? Not the first incident. Maybe not the second, but the third. Lord, I mean, come on. I mean, one, two, three. Share the blessing to someone else, you know. It's like, <laughs> share the love. <clears throat> and, and there's nothing here, I understand that. I'm not suggesting that it is not a natural desire to, to want to question what we're experiencing. And there's a level of time where the, where the psalmists are asking the Lord why, not in a confrontational, defiant way, but why as in teach me, because that's why he says in the second part of this. Not why as in why you're doing it because it's unjust, but teach me to understand this. That's a whole different frame of mind right so his temptation and our temptation but yet his response is what his response in most severe affliction is to offer up praise you're offering a praise and i put down i put down the words i put in my notes here is our our praise in affliction is our offering as unto the lord what can you do in the midst of your affliction? It could be, listen, those afflictions, 
there's yes, some afflictions are greater than others, perhaps on the grand scheme of things, but the reality is the affliction is whatever you're experiencing in that moment that's difficult to handle and that you try to conform to the word, right? It could be something as simply as a rebellious child to something as a death in the family, whatever, or, or bad diagnosis of, of cancer in your life, whatever that might be, that affliction in that moment. Is, is that great of an affliction for you in that moment, right? How do I respond? Well, here's my offering. Here's what I can do. I can offer to the Lord my offering of praise. Well, I've got nothing else to give you. I don't understand. I, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm at a loss for words. But I can praise you. That's my offering. That's what I give in return. Wow, I, I saw that. And I was like, wow. Because the second thing that's very significant in his second response, not only is my, is my response to is this accept my free will, my voluntary offerings of praise in response to the thing says, what, teach me. This dependent attitude is a prerequisite to true worship. Listen, someday when your kids get of marrying age, and some of you have kids that age, if it's a girl or a boy, I'm going to say especially if it's a girl and you got this young man looking after your girl, what's the first thing you want? Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Because hey, right now, if he's not teachable... Don't think one moment that he's submitting to the word. Don't, teach, don't, don't believe one moment that what you're experiencing in real life, meaning cocky and arrogant, I've got all the answers. Don't think he goes to God and he humbles himself before the Lord. He doesn't. A teachable spirit. Why? Because a teachable spirit and a dependent attitude upon the Lord is this prerequisite to true worship to the Lord, dependent on him. So he says, teach me. Don't. Don't explain. It's not explain yourself to me. It's teach me. Two, two quotes here. One says, "The vows of obedience are vain without divine instruction and grace." I mean, this this commitment to be obedient is is under this guidance of having divine grace poured into his life and divine instruction that follows. Zimic wrote this way: "All high." He could only write this way. I quoted it because it's, I, felt, I went back twice to make sure I quoted it correctly. All high flights of human responsibility depart from and return to the refuge of a divine resource. Beautiful way of saying here. Because what is he talking about? He's talking about offering this free will, offering as unto the Lord. He says, but it all begins and ends with God. And this human responsibility to respond in faith, to respond with praise departs from a divine source and resource and returns to a divine resource. It's not him, you know, uh, working up the energy and the motivation to, to do something that he's, you know, is, is the work of God in his heart from beginning to end that is manifested here. Beautiful, beautiful description of that. The second thing, and we'll take two, three minutes and do the, just the second one. The second one is, is in verse, in verse, um, verse 109. He says, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The description here is his life, translation being is his life hangs in the balance. Yes, on one hand, he lives in constant danger, but when you look at how this word is used elsewhere, a better representation of this is an expression that is used that characterizes one life where life is in the balance, but where one is prepared to give up one's life in the balance. In other words, it's not necessarily that he's there in fear, danger, and hiding. He, he's describing his, I hold my life in my hand continually, is the willingness to give up one's life. And you could go through Job and see that description. Uh, Jephthah gives that in Judge 12. He says, I risked my life, the same expression used there as well. So here's one commentator, Delitzsch, says this way. He says, man's prayer is not heard unless he takes his life in his hand or unless he is ready to sacrifice his life. Now, when you come to your affliction, your response to that is what? Is a undeniably dying to self in that moment. It's not going with trying to affirm a right is giving up those rights. That's just, that just awesome. And the first instinct we have, as a matter of fact, there's, there's two things here that, that reflect um, 
a, a contrast between that, that trial, that testing of his resolution to be faithful to the word, and the response to the first one when we said that he's the severe affliction or temptation affliction is to complain, which is why he says, I'm going to offer you offerings of praise. And then in, in a situation where I hold my life continually in my hand, why? Because I'm, I'm tempted in that moment to affirm my rights to something and not give up those rights. And dying to self is what he's describing here, and not only because he's experiencing, of course, the dangers of his life, but he's not seeking to affirm his right to life. He's affirming his right to, to give up that for the Lord, and in that, to not forget his laws. There's a greater purpose than, than what my moment in life might be. There's a, God's laws supersede that. In a much greater way. It's beautiful to see the description of that because we're, we can be so narrow. That's why I go back and remember I said, first of all, about the, about the Word of God, right? It's, it has a narrow focus, but it also has one, has a broader focus. And so in that moment where I'll be tempted to forget God's law, I'm reminded it's not about me. It's about the glory of the Lord. It's about Him fulfilling His purposes and not mine. What a, what a, what a moment that He can step back and, and say that. Well, verse one ten talks about the wicked, and we'll see that we'll see that next time because we're out of time. I don't want to rush through it. I have a couple of questions about that. Then the last two things we'll see next week. Verse one eleven, read, read that. Verse one eleven, he says, "Your testimonies are my heritage forever." For a, for a Jew, who normally his inheritance is what is the land, he he looks beyond that as something greater, contentment. Described there, and then commitment in verse 12, performing statutes to the end. So we'll look at that uh, next week as well. So beautiful, encouraging, encouraging song. Let's pray. Father, I come to you with a humble heart and a grateful heart, Lord. I come to you and ask, would you teach us your ways? And Lord, in whatever, whatever moment of affliction I might be experiencing, may I offer you words of praise. And in that praise, would I say, Lord, teach me. Teach me your ways. Oh, Lord, what a, what a beautiful testimony we find of the psalmist, not only just loving your word, but allowing that word to be alive into his path and into his way. Well, I don't know what these families are facing today, but I know what we're all, we all face affliction in one form or another, some greater than others, certainly. Lord, may we turn to you, and may we find confidence in your word in these moments. Thank you, Lord, for our time in your word. Bless the remainder of this day. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>